Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that this podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Good to see you, uh, Eric. Likewise. It's been a long time. Yeah. So how do I sound? Okay? Uh, yeah. Um, All right. I've been doing a lot of these Zooms and, you know, the technological variations on each broadcast could go in any direction. So how's the uh, orientation? Uh, It's pretty typical of Zoom. (laughs) Oh, I mean, how how does my screen look to you in terms of what you see of me background? Does it work? Yeah, it works fine. All right, because, you know, sometimes people want you to push the screen up, push it down. I'm not very tall. Sometimes I'm too low in my chair, but I'm sitting up. So uh, you don't lose, uh, you know, any part of my head. Are you are you using a laptop? Yes. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I'll go like this with the screen and that, you know. Yeah, I just pushed it forward a little. Yeah. I mean, usually you like to have a bust, what I call the bust. Yeah. Uh, but... Everybody's different. <laughs> well, it's it's your show as long as it works for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of it's digested through audio. The video component is just something that um, I'm experimenting with on YouTube to, to to see if we can get a few extra people. <laughs> yeah. But mostly the traffic comes through Apple. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, how have you been holding up? Well, it, it's been, of course, it's been an interesting year. Yeah. <laughs> this last week seems like a year, frankly. Uh, it's mind-boggling and dizzying. And, and t- I found it addictive. It's like, a, it's so repellent what's going on, but I'm glued to the news. You know, I'm trying to make sense of it. So yeah. I'm distilling constantly what's happening. I'm relieved, personally, we're going into a new era. In this country, I think we'll pull ourselves out of some of the problematic areas we got into. But I'm also aware, as many people, what's out there and what's brewing underneath everything. And it's it's disconcerting. Yeah, I I, uh, I've been addicted, especially all week, but probably all autumn as well. Um, And I, I, I just I'm so relieved that i mean it could have gone differently had the other party not been in control of the house and if the vice president wasn't a career politician who understood legality like it could have all gone the other way yes um so we lucked out this time Uh, (laughs) yeah so um first off welcome to the podcast I guess we're live. Um, I tend to edit these, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I started this podcast over the pandemic uh, because um, 
I wanted to talk to more creative people about kind of how they're how they're doing, how they're getting through it, how their creative life is either working or not working. Um, some people weren't as as um, functionable this year, and um, you are always on my short list of people to stay in contact with because I really enjoyed the independent studies I had with you. Um, Thank you. I know you're a published poet. Um, I enjoyed them as well, Eric. <laughs> And actually, for those of you who don't know, uh, when I was in my undergrad, I took independent studies in science fiction and microfiction. And had I known that you had a um, a study in graphic noveling, I would have uh, wow. done that as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. my, my girlfriend ended up taking that with you, um, which was kind of cool. So... Um, I, although at the time, I don't know that I would have had respect for the graphic novel that I eventually developed. Um, I hear that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm actually, now I'm obsessed with some of the stuff that you had her reading, um, like the Eisner graphic novels. Um, and so I've been over the, ever since I've been kind of buying them constantly, but, um, but you're also, you know, you're you're a fully functional poet. <laughs> Can there For be the most... such a thing? Yes. I wonder. <laughs> um, fully functional poet. That's I, that's that's a good name for a book. <laughs> well, you know, I I hear a lot of people tell me they're poets, and and you're you're one of the few who's a poet who I can Google and actually come up with some work. Um, that I know, um, and it's it's really forty re- years, Eric. <laughs> yes. Well, we're so, gonna talk about there's that. Some things out there. Yeah. yeah uh, I, and I definitely want to talk about like that. Everything that kind of went on over the past forty years. Um, I want to get your thoughts on poetry, um, on career writing versus just writing. Um, I. I was going through some of the stuff I could access online over the past week. And um, I, I find your work pretty relatable. Um, there's some of it, you know, there's a lot of poetry I read where there it's, it's, a, there's almost, I don't know if it's purposeful or if it's just kind of just the way things are. There's often an attempt to hide the era that we're living in. Mm. And, and I feel like, there's some of your work that I found is just openly acknowledging that we're either in the 20th century or the 21st century. Like you've got this one called film noir, very few oh, poets write about movies. Yeah. Maybe you and Bukowski write about movies every now and again, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but name dropping like MGM. And I was just like, Oh, I, I don't see this in, in poetry a lot. And I studied it extensively in my MFA and, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate the accessibility of a lot of the work that I ended up pulling up, which I'll end up linking to. Um, and so I don't know where you want to start, but um, I'm, I'm interested in kind of your, your thoughts on obviously how, how you got, how you started. Um, I mean, for some people it goes back too far, but, um, and just kind of how you stayed with it. That's a hard one. Hmm. Well, the thing is, and I want to just go back a second to what you mentioned earlier about what people call themselves. 
because I tell this to my students and I've talked about this with people I've known for decades who are also poets. What, what do I mean by that? They write a lot of poetry and they took it seriously enough to devote themselves to the craft, to educate themselves informally and sometimes formally, uh, to get a better sense of what's out there, you know, to know the history of it, to know the different styles, the different traditions, uh, the different cultural legacies of poetry and trying to come up with your own voice. But I think the most important thing is not what you call yourself. You know, you, you could write one or two poems and say, yeah, I'm a poet. Uh, well, you're a person who wrote one or two poems. You can't take that away from someone. But it's not important. Uh, you know, I don't go around identifying myself that way. But obviously, if I'm on this show and I'm talking about my work, we're, we're focusing on one aspect of my work, which is the poetry. And I do, I have devoted a lot of my life to that. It brings me pleasure. Poetry is something that inspired me as a student, uh, very young and then into college. I had uh, the pleasure and the privilege of having a college instructor uh, help me understand where my voice should go early on. He recognized something in it. Uh, that was the poet Thomas A. Snap. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of his work around if you Google it. He has a wonderful poem that had been published in the New Yorker many, many, many years ago called The Actor. And occasionally you'll see a scholarly article on him. Uh, and he had passed away, I think, in 1978 uh, of leukemia. But uh, he was my instructor and he became my friend. And back then, I was really in a very uh, rough draft stage of what I was trying to do. Interesting to me, I was still writing rhymed poetry, which I have nothing against, but I didn't see how it was restricting me for the vocabulary and the ideas I had at that time. And he saw something in what I was writing to kind of try to help me pull it out. And I did. And so in combination with that, in reading other poets, I found myself very inspired. And I found that it was a poetry was a place I could put the so-called big ideas that I found weren't as eloquently stated or shared in other forms of writing or discourse. And so I went to it to express myself. Yes, some of it was cathartic, there's no doubt. Uh, a lot of it was based on being a witness. You know, it's very important, I think, not just to hone in on what you're thinking, but to be out there in the world and to take note of things that are happening that might strike you as significant or disturbing, as well as inspiring, and put it into words. I think it's important to express ourselves, certainly in a free society, uh, one that's still free, more or less, that uh, we have that opportunity. And, you know, when I started, we didn't have all this great desktop publishing energy and all these small presses that were emerging and burgeoning. And uh, that helped a lot. Uh, I got very involved in that. 
in, in small magazine publishing, book publishing. I'm a book reviewer and I reviewed a lot of small press books over the years and I was very inspired by that, especially the poetry coming out of that arena. But I think it's very important if you want, I don't want to say to be a good poet because I don't know what that is. Uh, you can be a good poet for yourself or a good poet for the work you're producing. Everybody can reach a pinnacle for what they're capable of doing uh, for their style, their vocabulary, whatever. But I think it's important to be alert, to be concerned about things other than yourself. You want to make statements and you want to make observations about things that make that express that we're all human in a variety of ways. If you want to engage an audience, you know, uh, someone once told me, uh, I don't remember who it was, I thought it was such an interesting comment. A lot of poets write about personal things, and I do. I write about my family, I write about things that happened to me and others close to me uh, that I feel are relatable and accessible uh, because I think they're important to share. But if I didn't think about the leap from the very intensely personal or intimate or only those things I know, it won't allow the reader in. And there are people who write poetry who don't give that consideration. And somebody once described it as like looking at a whole movie with no context. You're watching a birthday party or you're watching people on vacation. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're thinking. There's no context presented. It's just there. And they can't get involved or they can't learn something from it they don't feel a level of inclusion. And I think anybody who writes has to think, give consideration at some point in the writing, how do I engage a reader after you've done what you're supposed to do in terms of expression and craft and, and coming up with the best words for what you want to express? How do you allow somebody else to come in so that when they're done reading, they have something to think about, whether it relates back to them or to someone else, and even develop a sense of empathy for situations that have nothing to do with them, but they're presented in such a way that it, it, it opens a door to a new kind of thinking. I think you have to give consideration to your audience. It doesn't happen right away. You know, it's, it's a matter of, do you give permission to yourself? That's the other thing. I tell my students that all the time, give yourself permission to write something however badly it spills out of you. Because it's only then that you can see where you might need to go and how you might polish it or refine it or what you haven't said. If you don't write at all, there's nothing to work with. It's all abstract, you know, it's, it's, it's all floating, it's intangible. But to do it, you have to do it. And so I don't really think about that that much. I know I'm not happy if I don't write. I feel a void and I feel like uh, sometimes I get lazy or I'm not working it into my life properly. Uh, and I never really had the leisure to do that. Uh, I've always had to work in it because you don't make a living as a poet. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, ah, that it would be. Uh, but I would tell that to anybody, uh, you know, if you, you're thinking about it, uh, forget it. 
you know, you, you can make money from it. I certainly do. I report a lot of my income from poetry related events. Some from the publishing, that's not a tremendous amount. You're not gonna hear a publisher give, you know, one of these big book deals like they do for novels or, you know, uh, things turned into a movie. Um, you don't write poetry for that. But, but uh, I got teaching gigs, I got speaking gigs, I teach workshops. Um, so occasionally there'll be a publication that will pay me much more than others. You can have a semblance of a living or more importantly, evidence that your poetry has an intrinsic value outside of a small gathering of people who liked it or who can relate to it. But you write, you write poetry because you want to write poetry and you want that poetry to reach others. So you want it to be published because you, you want an audience for all of your hard work. It's like creating anything. And that's, that, to me, that's the most gratifying thing. I have poetry that's published all over the world. I mean, I'm, after 40 years, I'm, I'm still amazed by this. You know, I would occasionally get emails and, and Facebook messages from India, you know, from, from Australia, from Israel. And uh, it's nice to be able to engage and touch something inside someone who comes from a different society than yourself. It's that connection to humanity again. So that's a that's also a wonderful thing, but that takes time to develop, and going from the permission for expression, the crafting of something, the consideration for the audience, and then getting your work out there, so it has the possibility of doing that. Yeah, and you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's so much you touched on that um, I'm gonna have to go back and listen and be like, oh, I should have been taking notes. But um, you, the void that you talked about is really, really relatable. And I feel that um, in every medium I work in where if I'm not touching it at any, like if I go six months without writing writing anything, if I go six months without, um, you know, opening up a tube of paint or something, um, I start to feel a desperation where, where I, it's hard to describe to people who aren't in, in the art life. Yes. Um, but at the same time, like, what did you say after that? You had talked about kind of, well, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. We'll circle back to it. But um, I think that one of the main things that I've always struggled to convey to people who don't understand why artists do what they do regardless of whether they have a career really comes down to that sort of void that you talked about i've never called it that but it's totally accurate um and one of the things that i've actually been doing with my film work is um uh, the, the the last project i did and the one i'm now editing it's basically they built they, they're both designed as responses to thanksgiving where like i don't know if you've had this problem but Every Thanksgiving I've ever gone to as an adult was always focused on, so have you given up yet? <laughs> How are you making your money? Or, or something like, okay. something like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're nicer about it, depending on the year. 
Uh, and so I, I decided to start producing these films uh, that are basically responses to Thanksgiving <laughs> and how hard Thanksgiving is for artists who are just doing it for the hell of it and not because there's a career path. And of course, with so much of it, there isn't a career path. Um, it's just there's mm. this desperate need to fill a void or to keep the void from growing wider or, you know, whatever description we want to use. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it sounds like it sounds like um, you're doing it for all the right reasons, in my opinion. Well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice to know. Um, I would say to people sometimes, you know, when they would say, oh, did you get a lot of encouragement? And uh, no, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it's nice that you do it. But I say the world doesn't really need another poet. Uh, you know, if you describe need as, you know, this is something from a sense of utility. This is something we must, we must have another poet. I, I, I don't remember <laughs> who the cartoonist was, but there was somebody who did kind of these one shot, one frame cartoons that were done in the fashion of something in the 30s. And it was some guy walking through a jungle and he had, you know, the helmet, the safari helmet, the whole thing. And he has a look of horror on his face. It's something is, is, is being thrown at him. And it said, and it said something like, Norbert, you know, uh, jumped in horror uh, as he encountered yet another slim volume of poetry <laughs> in his journey. You know, you see this book leap out of nowhere. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Be, uh, in, you know, the, the, does the, what does the world need? What you know, do people clamor? I I grew up with encouragement to express myself freely, and I was allowed to read any book I wanted. And I read very early. I was reading at five years old books that my parents had, and uh, you know, Tropic of Cancer, <laughs> you know, all sorts of things. I didn't understand some of it. There were art books and. And it was just things that I didn't understand, things that I, I found fascinating, we're all going in here, you know, and some things had to come out. And I was always grateful that they were artistically inclined, even though they were not artists themselves. They were culture vultures, if you can call it that. So our house was filled with music and art and all sorts of things. Uh, but Nobody ever said to me or implied, you know, you're going to be a poet or you've got, you know, my grandmother kind of, you know, she loved everything I did, including all my drawings. But uh, you, you have to have it inside you. You really do. And, and you just have to make sure that you don't look to others necessarily for permission. Uh, you don't want self-aggrandizement. That's got, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, you know, there'll be as many, a variety of poets in style as personalities. I never took it for granted when I got something published. It's uh, still a, a thrill to me. And it's not for notoriety. I don't really need that. Uh, it's because my work is still relevant to somebody. It still has something to say. You know, you don't want to run out of things to say, even though everything's been said a thousand times over. But Every time I write something that's successful or successful in terms of response to, uh, to a reader or to a listener, 
I'm giving a reading. I'm kind of, I'm grateful that I'm still able to do that. Because, you know, all writers, I think all artists, you know, they have this fear they're going to run out. Or, you know, you're just, uh, things are going to go flat. Or your imagination uh, is uh, not going to be functioning with the same energy level uh, or reach the same height. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of that. But I know myself, if I, first of all, if I continue to read and I try to absorb uh, as many uh, poets and other types of writers, I mean, in teaching, of course, you are exposed to that, that's great. But I'm an editor and I read other people's work and have to make choices about it. So I'm very heartened by what comes my way, crosses my desk. Um, and uh, I don't know, can I shamelessly advertise, if you will, some of my efforts? Uh, there's a magazine that I edit that I'm really proud of. I've been, uh, I've been the editor-in-chief for five years. It's a magazine that goes back 18 years. It's Oberon. And we get poetry from all over the world. And what I like, uh, what I like about the process is I'm able to put people in this publication, which is an international journal of some repute, it's in EBSCO, you know, uh, we've gotten some fantastic reviews. I have people in there who are published for the first time, as well as people who have like 10 books of their own. And it's thrilling to get those emails. They're so excited that they're in the magazine. And I'm happy for them, but they their work needs to be heard. And so, you know, you have your novices and you have your seasoned writers. And so uh, that inspires me. And I think it works its way uh, into my own distillation of ideas and helps invigorate me. So if I could just shamelessly hold this up, <laughs> Oberon, we just came out with this. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll link it. Um... Yeah, we have a website. People yeah. can go on and see what we're about. We publish once a year. We have a contest, a $1,000 uh, first prize and honorable mentions. This mm. is a George Booth uh, character that was done specifically for us many years ago when we were first founded. Uh, but this is, this is, I think, ultimately, and I, I hope to think of it this way since I'm the editor, uh, I go through it with my uh, associate editor, uh, Ludmilla Yahil, uh, that this is an opportunity for poets of all different levels of experience, but the common denominator is they're serious about their work. So what they produce is quality because they care about it. And so as an editor, I value that. As a teacher, I value that. And as a poet for myself, I have to remind myself, you know, the point is not to impress anybody. It's to engage. Yeah. It's it's to touch somebody with either something that happened to yourself or someone else or the things that you witness happening around you, as per what we were saying before. And uh, so I feel fortunate in a way that my life is filled with poetry by virtue of my involvement with these sorts of projects. Uh, poet poetry that's not my own. One needs to go to that quite a bit. I think that's very important. 
I find that the most frequently published short medium uh, authors, like short stories, whether they're essays or fiction or poetry, are also involved in some way in a literary on the editorial side of a literary journal. Um, I, it's it's um, I think that it makes sense to be dialed into what other people are sending out there. Do you, you you know, um, I I think I thought of uh, something that you, I don't remember what you said that got me thinking about it. And and sorry about the cat. He's kind of a baby. No, I like, I I Uh, love animals. (laughs) I love animals. Um, So I like seeing the cat there. (laughs) Yeah, we have eight in a New York City one bedroom apartment. Eight? Yep. Eight. Um, he's one of a litter of five. Um, and it's a pretty all... cat. I like the yeah. coloration on the face there. He's never known. He's never known hardship, and he's never known anger or discipline. And he's the sweetest cat as a result. Mm. Um, which <laughs> makes me think that all of the tough to deal with animals out there are the fault of humans. But um, I was thinking. Initially, when you were talking um, after the void, I don't remember what it was that you said, but one of the one of the projects, actually two of the projects that I've done over the pandemic, I'd held off on for 20 years. They were writing projects because I had this I I had this fear that um, the for some reason, I don't know why. now that I'm through it and they're done, it was totally an irrational fear. But and I don't know if, you, if you've ever had this where like I had this fear that the idea was the purest, better form of it. And I, and I didn't want to tackle it because I didn't want to destroy the idea. Uh, do you ever have that? Do you know anybody who has that? Like, yeah. You know, are you up to the task? How do I take this and do justice to it? If we all continue to worry about that. Nothing would ever get written or painted or sculpted or filmed. I think, you know, I don't want to exactly call it chutzpah, but I think you have to set aside sometimes uh, the concern about that, living up to the idea. I think sometimes having the idea will kind of guide you. Because even when you start to do something and it doesn't look quite right, you're motivated by the fact that you want that idea to be dealt with properly. So if you stick with it, I think you'll bring it to a level that's worthy of the idea and does justice to what you want to say about it or what you, or how you want to share it, maybe. I, th- I think that's probably common. I think there are many people, it's, it's sad, that don't really write uh, because of either that fear or they're fearful of offending somebody even when they don't intend to offend them, you know, they're not necessarily writing something negative. But I, I, I heard people say, you know, uh, they might know it's about them. <laughs> you know, you, you take that risk. But unless you're out to write, you know, uh, a, a slash and burn piece, and there are people who do it, uh, you can't be afraid. Uh, I've written fictional pieces weren't exactly Roman or Clay, but they, they were uh, based on people, sometimes thinly disguised. I wasn't giving away state secrets or, or, 
or personal secrets. I wasn't condemning anybody, but I would use aspects of, of certain people's lives or situations because I found them compelling. And I thought they, they would be great for a particular storytelling strategy uh, or work into a theme of uh, what I was trying to bring across. But I mean, I think there are, we all run into concerns or things that give us pause before we head right into it. And uh, conversely, there are things that we don't think about. We just dive right in. You know, there, there are poems that I've written that are really just from being out there in the world and spotting something just momentarily. They're like, I used to call them snapshot poems. Uh, I wrote a poem called In Transit when I was driving through New York City, waiting to get into the Holland Tunnel to visit people in Jersey. And it was horrific traffic. I mean, anybody, anybody who's gone into the Holland Tunnel <laughs> in the good old days before COVID and you could drive around and I got stuck outside of that thing and inside of that thing and just outside of that thing on the other side many times. And usually when you're driving around, you're just thinking of getting to your destination. But I found over time, you can witness a lot of interesting things, even if they're moments that don't have a sense of exact closure to them. Can I read the poem? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I have and uh, I like it of catching, catching a moment, but still needing some speculation as to what happened after you're, you're pulled away from it. Because I was starting to witness something and then the traffic started moving again. So naturally I couldn't just sit there blocking miles of cars while I wanted to see what was going to happen. In transit. She was anchored on the sidewalk, her face eclipsed by the back of his head as they stood together, his body turning toward the curb, his right foot already in the street, its sole inches from cigarette ash that a funnel of air churned and let go. Her arms still around his neck, their faces close but barely touching, a kiss either coming or ending, when I drove past them, never to learn whether he delayed and missed the light or whether she stayed and watched him cross to the other side as I was pulled into the burning mouth of the Holland Tunnel. And it kills me that I never found out <laughs> because it looked like there was that moment in a movie where are they breaking up? Are they coming together? It's just something I'm looking out the window and seeing this yeah. and I, I, it made me land somewhere. So I decided to write about it, but it's, it's sometimes interesting what you can spot just like, like a photographer goes around and there's something that catches your attention. There's something that seems like it could make a statement of some kind, even if it involves speculation. There's no answer. There's no total resolution, but what's going to happen? The suspense of it. So uh, 
I'm finding that those can be interesting poems. I try to remember to do that, just to be alert, be aware. You never know what you can spot. You never know uh, where it can take your imagination. Yeah, I um, I find that I when I'm doing verse, I tend to. It's so weird. It tends t- tends to be every other autumn, my brain just clicks in, and then I'll write like maybe fifty drafts of something, mm. uh, of various things, and then maybe two yeah. I'll refine, but then two years later it'll happen again, and it's always just kind of about ran- random stuff. Um, for the most part, things I'm seeing um, right now, I'm I'm developing a poem, which is really really rare, um, where I'll develop it almost like a story. But I know that I want to write it, and I I know what I want it to be about. It's about this. Um, my dad has historically been really sick for his whole life, and he's now like a double amputee in a wheelchair, and there was this home movie, which you reminded me of when you were talking about home movies, um, of him before when he was able to, when he was just kind of healthy, as healthy as he's ever been. Mm. It was his 50th, 50th birthday party. And it was the first video I ever shot um, with my grandmother's camcorder. And the tape ended up going missing after I moved to New York because um, when I, I was moving from my first apartment to my second apartment, um, I went back for the final haul of boxes and the landlord threw out all the bo- the rest of the boxes without consulting me. Oh and that, that, I know that, that video was oh, in there. Terrible. It was terrible. Um, that video was in there and that of all the things, I mean, there was a lot of mm. other expensive computer equipment and stuff. I didn't care about any of that. I cared about that one VHS tape. Yeah, which was probably degraded from being watched too much. Um, And I wish I had archived it digitally. But, you know, this was the early 2000s. There wasn't a lot of availability of the devices to do that. Um, And so I know the the, like in this rare circumstance of wanting to develop a poem without just kind of starting it. um, That's the subject that I've been thinking about doing. Um, But again, it's a situation where like, Maybe it's better as a thought about thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh. well, don't you find, though, that uh, or or I should say, do you find because I'm not consistent with the process. There's probably a happy medium where I, I my habits are sometimes I'll come up with a line about something, you know, and I'll write it down. And maybe it'll lead to another line and it'll sit. And then as I think about it and distill and digest and another line will follow. And then piecemeal, you know, I'll write a draft. Mm-hmm. I start hand, hand, writing it by hand very often. Pencil is my favorite uh, instrument. Uh, I just find I like it. It's not that I'm against the permanence of a pen. You can cross out pen like you can erase pencil. But uh, I just, I, I like the scratch of the lid on paper. It's just a personal thing. And, uh, and yes, it is easier to erase. But uh, and then I'll sometimes, I'll start to put things in the computer, for the, well, largely for the sake of protecting it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I have so many, you know, pieces of paper 
happily, the, the virtue of the little screen, you know, you're seeing my bookcase behind me. You don't see everything behind the laptop, <laughs> which are the usual mounds of wrangled chaos that a writer <laughs> has about papers and books and what have you. But, you know, I, I have these like, you know, hand, uh, handwritten notes on various folded pieces of paper, old bills, whatever. I still do that. And then I try to get rid of that and put it on the computer so that it goes through the next phase. And I'm uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm really going to finish it up and refine it differently than just the early scratching out stages. But I don't know if you find this, some poems just seem to unravel and they're, they're not done, but they're mostly there. And I'm wordsmithing and just tweaking. And others are, you know, it's like the magician's trick of you pulling scarves, you know, until yeah. you don't know when you're going to get to the end of it. And it doesn't have to be a long poem either. It, you know, it could be something brief, uh, a handful of lines, but then the words become even more important because, uh, you know, of the brevity of it. And what can you say? And I mean, we, you and I talked about that with the microfiction of how important it was to achieve what you need to do in a paragraph or a page or two. It's tougher than having all the elbow room of a conventional short story or even better, a novel. Uh, you got stretch room. But uh, I find with my process, I know I'm not exactly cookie cutter from one poem to the next. Uh, some things come out more fully realized than others. Do you find that with your writing or? Yeah, um, actually, I was thinking about that. The first poem I ever read aloud came free flowing so fast and so consistently. I think uh -huh. between May of 2016 and when I read it in either October or November of 2016, I wrote it consistently. And the, really the only editing was creating a, a, taking the long version and creating a medium version and creating a short version because there was a time limit on the readings. Yeah. And okay, what's, what's vital to this reading? What, what, who, who is this audience? And then also I did, it, I did a couple of open letters where they just kind of came really fast. I think if I'm angry, they come really fast and pretty <laughs> almost, almost edited. Um, it's the stuff I'm thinking about intellectually that I'm, I might be overthinking them. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny, your anger, you know, the burst. When you said uh, that, I had written, uh, I was a teenager, and I had gotten into a slam dunk fight with my mother one night. And I went into my room, and I had a manual typewriter, an Olivetti. And first thing I did was I sat down and just started banging out the exact scenario she had come home from some event and I was still up and I wasn't supposed to be up apparently. <laughs> and my mother should have known better. Poets stay up late sometimes, you know, you yeah. can't quiet, but, <laughs> but it was, it, 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 it kind of was a small explosion. And I went right to the typewriter and just from the moment she entered the, the, the house, I was writing about this. I was presenting it in the third person. <laughs> And I was, and there was a lot of clacking. You know, this was a very loud typewriter. The acoustics were not good for hushing anything. And I remember, and it was about three in the morning, by the time I was done, uh, when this thing started, I remember my father knocking on the door, <laughs> opening it gingerly saying, 
you know, you're really being very loud. He didn't want to escalate anything, but <laughs> he was hoping I was almost done with my, my <laughs> typing my rage. And I, 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 somewhere I might still have that piece. I would love to see how I worded this, but it, it was, it was fury that drove me to this. And I remember I, I was typing so hard, you know, all the dots on the eyes went right through the page. You know, look, it, it looked like uh, Morse code or something. If you held it up to the light and that only occasionally I would run into that where I'm just saying this, you know, because I have to, there's no way for me to deal with this. Now, of course, that was an extreme example, but um, sometimes you do go to the page, if not in anger uh, and if not in angst, because angst is harder and I think it takes us longer sometimes. You want to do justice to what you're saying and not simply show the pain because that doesn't achieve anything really. Uh, but I think uh, sometimes there are those moments you may have had this, where, you know, even in a house that has so much paper and, and so many writing implements around it, I'm, I, you're looking for something because you don't want to lose what you just captured. If it's a, a handful of words, an actual phrase, or just what you want to write about in the way you want to word it so you can pull it out of itself at a, at a later time. And I, I find myself doing that. I've gotten better at keeping a pad and uh, I always have pencils or pens with me in the car. Because again, uh, I'll be listening to NPR. I have a whole collection of things I informally call my NPR poems because I'm hearing something, an interview or I'm hearing something that uh, captures my imagination or really uh, stimulates something in me. And I know I want to write about it, but if I don't, if I don't write something down connected to it, I'm likely to lose the momentum later or forget about it entirely. I, I an example, uh, when they were first discussing Pluto as not really being a planet in our solar system, they were calling it a heavenly body or something. And the astronomers were saying, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really fall into the category of uh, a planet. I, I thought, wait a minute, you can't do that. Pluto is that wonderful little planet that's at the edge of everything. I've seen all of the paintings. And uh, because this, is, this was before we really had a lot of the satellite pictures coming back. I said, how can you take this? All my mobiles of the planets had Pluto in it. I wasn't about to take this out. So I wrote a poem about it. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you just ask me to excise this adorable runt of a planet? I can't do it. I can't take this bead out of my necklace. This is, you know, I can't abandon this. And it was just listening to a show on the radio, but it got me to thinking. And uh, you, you know, I, I, I try to be prepared now uh, by having a piece of paper or something available so that I make a note that I want to write about something like that. But again, it's a matter of you don't know where, where and when inspirational hit. There are always things that we think about because of who we are and what is important to us. But I like those things that float onto the radar, unanticipated and tap into something that might tell us something about ourselves interestingly, but also gives us a chance to write about something uh, that we hadn't planned for. 
So those are kind of, uh, you know, nice serendipitous uh, poems that come about that way. Well, you know, I could go on for another episode about Pluto because I, um, <laughs> I un- unfortunately uh, side with Neil deGrasse Tyson on it because it's 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 because oh. he's he's unapologetic about how it shouldn't be uh, because it's so much smaller than our own moon. Our yeah. moon it could technically be a considered a planet uh, in certain arguments, but um, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> that's a hot button subject for nerds. Um, yeah. You know, do you, do you ever find that like if you if you were to like break down your work by like what is this really about? No, not, maybe not themes, but just kind of the 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 initial idea. Do you, do you, do you find that you you may or may not be writing about kind of the same thing? Because like one of the things that I'm realizing as we're talking about this is all of the work that I've just was able to write quickly and have it be almost there um, was almost always about a lack of communication in some way or another. So like the one that I read aloud for the first time started because I found out a guy that I grew up with committed suicide, but I found out through a Google alert pertaining to my hometown, not because anybody reached out to me and told me. Um, And then also I, a lot of the pieces are about the lack of communication between people who disagree or um, the lack of communication as a result of social media. I, I can, I think that social media has destroyed our ability to communicate. Um, and so, I mean, this is just something I'm thinking about now for the first time hearing you talk is, Oh, I have kind of a theme. Do you, do you feel like you have a theme? No, no. And, <laughs> and I, I answered that quickly. Didn't I? And, 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 you know, it, it sometimes bothers me because it's hard to put a book manuscript together. When I was in graduate school, I was uh, one of the people I studied with uh, was Julie Sheehan, who's a very fine poet in her own right. And uh, we were having a lot of fun putting my book together. That, that was my uh, thesis, uh, was a book manuscript. I had plenty of work. But it was how to make a cohesive whole out of this. I will say that I have written a lot of poems about my family. Now, I don't set out to do that every time I write. But over the years, I have done that. Uh, and in my, my first book, it was a chapbook. It was called Dismantling the Playground. There were uh, poems about my family, my, uh, it was a coming of age and reconciling with maturing, if you could call it overall theme. And I, I gathered the poems together to kind of fit into that. When I was working with Julie, we were trying to figure out, uh, I was trying to figure out the best way to order the poems and, and how to break them up. And I had used, or I thought about models that I had seen, and you still see this, you know, the uh, collection of a poet with section one, section two, section three, section four. Sometimes these sections uh, are made up of poems from different books or a different stage of their life or thematically connected. I was trying to do that. The, the, the poems, you know, the section one was family. Section two was uh, 
I don't know, uh, social, socio-political observations or whatever. And Julie tried to talk me out of it. She said, no, no, don't do that. Because unless, unless there's really uh, uh, an obvious or tangible connection, they don't hold together well with the, the Roman numeral one, two, three, four. Fine, I wasn't married to it. So we left it out. But I, I, because I get books all the time for review and just you know, for my own reading pleasure or sharing them with colleagues and, and poet friends, I'm always envious that someone could actually put a book together where all the poems are not identical. They have their own personalities and you know, they go off on their, their own detours, but they're all connected thematically somehow. They fall together well. I just don't do that. I probably could put a concerted effort into trying to do it. It would make putting a book together easier. Uh, and I run into that problem. But uh, I don't know if there's an, an overriding theme. You know, me in the world. I mean, I don't know that that's a, that's a theme per se. But um, what strikes me at the moment I, I almost put, I, when I was putting together, uh, I, I have a manuscript now that I'm trying to do this with. And that's, that's exactly one of my dilemmas. Um, I went through different titles for the book. And it was going to be named uh, after one of the poems I had hoped to include called Cultivated Happenstance. And I thought, oh, maybe I could get away with this. You know, Cultivated Happenstance, you know, you know, put all these poems from different themes in here. You know, you can't, you know, you can't hold me to anything because it's cultivated happenstance. I don't know. I go back and forth with that. And time will tell whether I actually do that. Uh, I will say this, though. I, I have a manuscript. It was on the cusp of being published uh, when COVID hit. So that kind of sunk that idea for a while. And that's okay. I was plenty busy. But uh, the title was the grab the, is the, the gravity of desire, and there's also a poem, the gravity of desire. And Julie had told me this. Julie Sheehan, when I was in grad school, other people tell me this about my work when they've read it online in a book. They've come to see me read. Or they're familiar with my work. The word gravity pops up a lot in my poetry. I was almost starting to get self-conscious about it. Like when I would, it would flow out of me. I wouldn't think about deliberately putting it in there. It, it wasn't a strategy. It's just, uh, so maybe there is something going on where I think about things being tethered to each other or that tethering being disrupted. I, I don't know. You know, I have to theorize about myself, which I always hate to do. I, I leave that to people to, you know, they like my work or tear it apart. Or, you know, you theorize. I don't care. Uh, but I have noticed that, that the word gravity is there. And I thought, well, the gravity of desire had quite a few poems that had gravity in it. And I thought, well, maybe I can get away with that. Uh, you know, maybe it doesn't matter because if it's uh, particular to the poem and it's relevant to the poem, it can stay. But there's no common element that I am continually aware of or uh, deliberately trying to achieve in a gathering of my poems, or when I sit down to write. Uh, each, each event 
uh, each poem seems to have its own gravity as far as what inspires me to write at that at that moment. So I can't tell you I write love poems. I like you know, uh, on the back of my chapbook, my my first book. Uh, I had, it was really nice. I had uh, comments by Diane Wachowski and Molly Peacock and David Shevin, so three fine poets. And uh, they focused on the aspect of my writing about people. Uh, Wachowski compared some of it, really flattering, uh, you know, to comparing some of them to Edward Arlington Robinson, you know, just uh, my, my observations about individuals. And maybe early on I did that, uh, predominantly. But I'm not I'm not really aware of deliberately doing it or incidentally doing it now. Uh, they seem to be isolated events. Uh, and maybe there's something in there that I'm just not paying attention to. I don't know. I'd have to sit down and take a look. But that's sort of a, a, a linguistic imprint, the vocabulary I tend to use, because I think we all have one. Uh, and parts of my voice that appear uh, create a thread. Um, I'm I'm not aware uh, that I do it, and I don't really don't think about it. But it would be nice because, like I said, it would make a more cohesive collection. Uh, but I don't think I've reached that point yet. I like the idea of gravity, though, because um, especially like I guess for any poet. Um, because uh it's a it's a force that we have no control over because we we know what it does but we don't understand why it does why it works like why does why is gravity or you know what is it uh and i think that's that's almost i think you're onto something with that for yourself maybe gravity and people but it's yeah i mean it's never something that i think i I mean, communication isn't something I'm actively thinking about. It's just something that I end up responding to. And so you seem responsive to people. And um, I don't know. At least we're having, we're, we're thinking about it, right? <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, well, you know, that's where it starts. It starts yeah. with the thought. <laughs> um. So when we talked by email initially, you had pieces prepared. You already read one. Did you want to read more? Sure. Just ask me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I could read one that was just published. Uh, and I, I can tell you what inspired it. I mean, this, this one uh, is actually from a situation that a very close friend of mine is going through with cancer. And uh, I have known many people with cancer lost uh, people. My mother died of pancreatic cancer uh, eight years, 12 years ago, sorry. Uh, the thing that strikes me about it, I was making, I was thinking about making connections to, uh, you know, how infuriating it was to have this thing appear seemingly out of nowhere. You you can't you can't anticipate it. You can't protect yourself against it necessarily. We have things like that in our lives. You know, you get blindsided by somebody who you thought loved you, and this monster is there, or this person who's tossing you aside and 
It's unfathomable. Things that happen in life, where you know, how do you protect yourself? Where does it come from? And uh, the the aspect of this tumor not responding to anything, uh, just the helplessness and and the anger, the exasperation, I guess, of it. So. Uh, thinking about it and trying to put it into language that would make it make sense. Because again, communication, engagement, I didn't want it to be uh, a platform for private pain. I was trying to say something that maybe someone could relate to, you know, has someone thought about it this way or have they gone through something like this? So this, this was published online, uh, Poetry Bay, which is a wonderful, uh, publication. It's been around for about 30 years, I think. What's it called? The poem is called Tumor. Tumor. Stuck in the throat like a word elongated by time and anger or regret that spun itself into a bitter egg. The word tumor looms and dangles up and down my gullet slides and sticks and flattens in my sleep. From my breath to the column of my middle, every pang and momentary dagger pricks the idea of a gritty pebble lodged in soft tissue, a pearl's vicious, insatiable cousin. The body is a wondrous thing a wrapped package of nerves and cushions, brittle nuggets that bind us together. What glittering and velvety junk we are, moving through life and each other's arms, hiding and hidden from love and hurt, blind to the unknown marauders in the dark. Are you, do you ever feel nervous when you hit the publish button? If you're sending it nervous? out. Nervous? Yeah. Does it make you nervous when you're sending something out for the first time? No. No. Um, I like it. It tells me, no, it, it tells me I'm still active. It's when I start to send out stuff that's not so new. And I'm thinking, I better really write more stuff. Um, no, I, I, I like it. Uh, and I guess the more of a vested interest I have in the piece or the, the more that it took from me to write is, is especially when I want that intensity to remain uh, with me when I send it out. Now, I've been doing this a very long time. I will tell you, you know, when I started out, it was... Uh, Maybe a little nerve-wracking, because you're not you're, you're you're not simply looking for a certain type of affirmation. You're looking for approval. I think that's what a lot of novice writers do. People people who are doing it for the first time, uh, they make it personal in an unfortunate way, because you shouldn't be looking for approval. Uh, you should learn something enough about your own writing to know whether you did your job as far as crafting it and checking it and proofreading it and all that jazz. But uh, I, I was eager to send this out. 
because this poem meant so much to me. And I, I was happy with it when I finished it. And it didn't take me terribly long to write. I had been ruminating over this. It's not my first or only poem on cancer. I, I wrote it when my mother was sick. I wrote it when I had a bout with it, with other friends, uh, all, all different poems. Not, I, I also don't want to write the same poem again and again. I want, to, I want to include new territory or a new aspect of a revelation or something uh, besides it being a different situation. But um, I wouldn't say nervous. Uh, I, I, maybe I would feel, use the word necessary. <laughs> I, felt I you know, when I write something that has meaning for me, uh, personal and creative, I want to get it out. I want to get it out there. And it's also a test of, well, uh, let's see, if it comes back five times, was it really ready? You know, did I really do what I was supposed to do? It's there are many teachable moments in writing. It should never be, well, I, I know everything I need to know and all my work when I finish it is fine, you know, so don't, don't even bother, you know, you, you take it the way it is or you have to have a, a fluid relationship with your work uh, in order to make it a, a, as best as it can be. But um, I'm not afraid, I'm, I'm not afraid, but people are also welcome to dislike my work. And, you know, when you send it out, someone, someone is not going to care for it. That uh, doesn't necessarily mean anything by itself. You know, you take it into consideration with many other things. But it's not for approval. Uh, it's just, let's, let's see if this catches somebody's attention. Someone who doesn't know me at all. No vested interest. But, you know, doesn't know the person that I'm losing or that I is at risk of losing. Someone who reads it and is is taken in by it or is engagement again. Um, I think that's that was the most gratifying thing when I really started to publish. I would say in the eighties. I really, when I look back at the magazines I've been in, uh, I, I see the eighties were a really active period for me. I was writing and writing and writing and writing, and I was publishing a lot. I feel fortunate, uh, and it was before desktop publishing. But the thing that was so gratifying was that these were magazines from all over the country, some from abroad. None of these editors knew who I was. Uh, and I was becoming a published poet, but certainly not a big name or anything. And they liked my work despite that. This was not in a you know, familiar group. This was not someone who had already made up their mind. They kind of liked my work. They never heard of me. They, they didn't know me from Adam. And so uh, that was true affirmation. The poem said something to them. And uh, I, I'm still grateful that I'm able to do that. If I could touch somebody who is out of any, any circle that I travel in or might not know who I am at this point or be as familiar with my work, if they like it enough to publish it, I find it very satisfying. And maybe they believe it'll say something to their readers. So it goes back to me in the poem again. Maybe I, maybe I, I did write by it or the subject uh, within the long process that I'm always trying to discover new things with language and maybe uh, refine the way I say things also. 
because you know when you look back on your work especially when you get to my age 40 years ago 30 years ago it, it comes across slightly differently i'll notice trends within myself from from parts of a decade to another i think there are some things that also probably uh, remain similar but as one has to change throughout one's life, I would think there's has got to be growth and some progress and some either modification or refinement in the way you say things. And it's important to keep uh, that in mind. Uh, and that the fact that all subjects don't require the same exact treatment, even though we generally develop a voice and a particular imprinted style, we should leave ourselves open. And that's also through inspiration of hearing other people read and reading their work. You see, wow, look what this person did. Uh, I never thought of doing that with words. And so maybe it can influence the way one writes. Uh, you can set out to copy somebody, you know, you can set out to do a particular form, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking things in, just like, you know, the brain folds every time you, you learn something new. And it enhances your worldview. It enhances the way you understand things. Uh, that would filter into, hopefully, the poetry that you write. So you can take a look at a body of work over years and years and see the small changes or the small refinements that occur with language or ideas. And uh, I think it's good to be aware of that on occasion to see where, where we were heading with things and maybe discover a gap in something that we haven't expressed yet or remind ourselves is something we'd like to express. And yes, there might be a better way to express it. And that uh, contributes to our growth as artists. Yeah, I 100% um, agree. Um, <clears throat> is there a... Um, is there a place that you would recommend people go if they want to read your work? Because I, I, um, I couldn't find a website specifically for you, but I could find various online journals with some of your pieces. Um, how would you recommend people find you? Well, putting my name in. Seriously, putting my name in. Yeah. Uh, you'll come up with the different journal names, the online journals, as well as uh, the print journals uh, that have websites. If you go under though sometimes, uh, I don't think Poets, Poets and Writers has been listed as one of their, their writers, but not uh, my work uh, necessarily. My name would be the best way to do it. Uh, I'm sure, but there are some places that if I'm in a particular uh, publication or online project and I'm one of many, it might be really far down and it might be something that I've done more recently. Uh, I'm part of an international project for ekphrasis. You know what that is, ekphrasis? Mm -hmm. It's poetry that creates narrative from visual art. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. I'm, I'm doing that a lot lately. I'd like to teach a, a class in it. It's a wonderful opportunity to uh, summon things in one's imagination uh, that you don't have an opportunity to do otherwise. 
Uh, and there's uh, an artist from the Netherlands, uh, Joost de Jong, who put together this international project. It's been years in, in, in the making. And he just came out with the third book, but it's, but it's online as well. So uh, if you look up uh, Ekphrasis, I'm trying to remember the, the exact title of the, of the website, but an, an Ekphrastic Notion with Juice, J-O-O-S-T-D-E, uh, J-O-N-G-E. Uh, you'll come up with, uh, it, it's, it's actually a, a, a book that you can turn pages virtually. And there are the paintings and the poems that go with them. So I have uh, one poem. I actually have a hard copy of the book. Oh, it wonderful. looks like this online also. And uh, when you're online, you, you can turn the pages and get <laughs> to uh, the paintings. There's, there's a painting that I did a poem to. Uh, and it's, it's online as uh, well. And I have uh, four, four or five poems in the, the, the book that just came out. And I believe it's, uh, that's also online. So if you look under his name or uh, an ekphrastic notion with his name, you should uh, come up with that. And you'll see my ekphrastic work. Uh, which uh, gives me a great deal of pleasure to write. I love the challenge of it, uh, especially since Joost's work is abstract. And when I would do this in the past, I would use something that seemed to imply a narrative or have something more concrete to work with in my imagination. And uh, I could give you an example. Uh, I have a poem and I have the painting that inspired it. Uh, and this was from a few years ago when I really started to get into this. Uh, this is uh, based on uh, an Edward Hopper painting. Woman sewing at a window. You can see that. That's yeah, very Hopper-ish. Yeah, Hopper I love Edward Hopper. I, I'm, I'm just enamored of his work. And I saw this uh, uh, painting, girl, girl at a sewing machine. So again, you know, I'm looking at this figure and I'm trying to think of what I can say about it. So I, I have to look at her and I see, I discover what I can summon about this individual. So this is what I came up with. Girl at a sewing machine. Look how the fabric billows under her body how it spills and rises on the table before her. The walls burn orange under the slant of sun, under the cold gaze of tall bare windows. Is it spring or fall? Does the needle of the machine sing a cappella, or are there voices threading their music from the street? Do her eyes wander upward as she steadies the cloth? her hands nearly in prayer. For whom does she sew as she sits, rustled in fabric, bonneted in hair, dreaming of the bustled dress worn in a better life, where her hands are gloved and folded in her lap, 
awaiting his shadow in the hall. You kind of implied a, a character out of frame there. Yeah. Yeah, I always felt like with a lot of his paintings, there were characters you're not seeing, but like the the girl waiting in the movie theater. Oh, he's, that's such a wonderful. Just about to enter. Yeah. No, that was that's a, a fantastic response. Um, Thank you. I like the challenge of it, you know. Yeah. To uh, to, but you but it's not just to describe. You know, the painter the painter presented the composition, the colors, the figure. What can you add to this? You know, what can you do to enhance this? Or you know, again, you you have to kind of speculate. You have to kind of project a little, but to make it not just something that a reader or even a viewer of the painting would observe because you do add layers of things from your own imagination when you're looking at this hopper thought it important enough to present her but i wanted something that would just take it a little bit further without knowing anything about her without doing research you know it has nothing to do with that we're not dealing with accuracy but we're dealing with some kind of imaginative connection maybe to the humanity of the subject, which is why when I see her at that table with that sewing machine, you know, who is she doing this for? You know, is she is she part of a sweatshop? Is she what what where does this dress end up? Uh, I imagined her one way that maybe she's envisioning wearing a dress like this for herself. I had to take it somewhere where I didn't really have any right or information to take it, but I wanted to add something to it. Uh, to give it maybe a little more depth or the possibility of meaning in terms of who she was and the life she lived. But uh, that's part of the interesting thing about writing poems, about paintings like this, uh, is not really repeating what's there, uh, but putting a layer of something on it to immerse the reader, to think maybe a little more deeply about what they're looking at. Yeah, I think that's a great. I, I think that's a uh, an important mission all around is um, kind of creating work to prompt people to think more about not just art but really anything that they see on the on any given day. So you're you're not only doing that with that painting but you were also doing it with those people on the sidewalk mm, yeah. and I would like like my hope is if we can get one person to start paying more attention to the people they see while driving like that would oh. be <laughs> a win for this episode right <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely um, how do you um, I, I would imagine you have a go to list of places to send your work how do you decide what work to send where? Well, lately, I have to say, I've been asked for my work. Oh, that's a good yeah. problem to have. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. But I should be sending out, I was talking about this the other day. I mean, really, you know, because again, the people who are asking me for work know my work. 
you know, they, they, they know my style. Uh, there's no guarantee that I get into their publications or their projects, but I am asked to send. And uh, as gratifying as that is, why wouldn't it be? And I mostly get uh, published that way lately. Um, I would say that outside of that, I would use poets and writers uh, as a very good resource. Um, I'm a, because I'm an editor, I'm a member of the Council of Literary Magazines. Uh, I think they call themselves Community of Literary Magazines and Small Presses. And so I would send uh, to some of the magazines I've become aware of through my fellow editors, who I don't know personally, you know, where there are hundreds of people, uh, but I would pick a like-minded magazine or a magazine I feel my work might resonate with. Uh, the last uh, few uh, university presses are wonderful. Universities have wonderful magazines. Some still have good budgets. It's really hard. Uh, not just COVID, but I mean, when we got into the late 90s, into the 2000s, a lot of federal funding was cut and funding to the arts. Anybody involved in any aspect of the arts knows this. The 80s, when I was really very actively publishing, was a much better time for uh, uh, money. A lot, of a lot of money for starting up little zines and, and uh, independent presses uh, and holding reading series. I mean, I made a fair amount of money. It's hard to believe now, just giving readings. So, and doing workshops. And I, I still do that occasionally, but uh, through groups like the CLMP, Community for Literary Magazines and Presses, Poets and Writers, uh, online, if you uh, just look up poetry magazines, you, know, you can do a global search and find magazines soliciting work. I get a lot of things in my inbox, uh, in, in my email about contests and, and reading periods. And so, I mean, there are myriad places out there. If anybody is interested, if they feel they're ready, uh, if they have a body of work to send, you don't want to, you know, you wrote two poems, uh, unless you're really confident of one of them. Uh, could reach so many people, you know, develop a body of work and make sure that your priority is always to write. It's not to send out. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I was in graduate school, I had the incredible experience of being a teaching assistant for the late Derek Wolcott, Nobel laureate, uh, brilliant poet, uh, interesting character, it'd be difficult. <laughs> and uh, we met and spoke a kind of a shared office hour with each other. He knew my work a little and he had asked me, you know, if I was uh, coming out with another book at that time, which I wasn't. I, I was working on my thesis and I was publishing separately in different magazines. And I say, you know, um, right now, I just want to be able to create more of a body of work that I'm confident in as a whole to uh, publish as a book. And, you know, he understood that. 
Well, this is a guy who had a whole dignified, tremendous career, Nobel laureate, you know, with the books. And he, by the way, was remarkably talented as a painter. It's really uh, just a, almost a Renaissance guy. He didn't quite make it in theater, which uh, always bothered him. But I mean, you know, can't do it all. Uh, but I remember thinking that I talked about that with him. And he tried to be a little bit. He says, no, you really, you really should try to get another book out. But I, I was concerned about the individual pieces coming together as per the earlier part of our conversation. Uh, maybe I was too focused on it, but I still believe I, I want each poem that ends up in a book uh, to have value of its own and not be the page filler. It's hard to do that. It's very hard. If you read books that are fine, they're beautiful. Beautifully rendered poems, but each one can't be the prize winner. But uh, for me, I, I don't want it to be the page filler either. Uh, I, and so I, and I know who to send the manuscripts to. And I would also recommend if anybody's watching who is looking for information or advice besides hitting the internet, which is, has a wealth of information, you know, writers, uh, the Writer's Digest Guide, which I think is online now, and the, I, I think it's still around, the International Directory of Small Presses. Uh, I used to use that religiously. I had an old copy that had so many pages dog-eared and, and underlined, and, uh, and I would just keep sending work out. Uh, they had thumbnail descriptions of the magazines. Uh, most of these are online now, but um, there are many, many places one can send their work. Uh, and I think what I'm going to start to do, uh, and I have to devise my time better, is uh, take a look at some of the things I put aside that I get in my inbox and start to work on, make a concerted effort of, of sending work to them so that I'm in a new gene pool, as it were, uh, for a community that, that might uh, accept my work. Have you, excuse me, have you considered um, building a website where you can start archiving your 40 years of uh, creation? Yes, I, I've been asked this a lot. <laughs> uh, I really should have a website. I always say, I need time to develop it. I need technical help. I'm not really a Luddite, but I really don't have the time to devote myself to really gain the knowledge of how to build one from scratch, I guess. I mean, I was proud enough of myself when I, got, I came up with my Facebook page. You know, I thought, all right, I'll use this as my hub. And I do use it as announcements for where I've been published, uh, what I'm working on, uh, projects I'm involved with. Uh, you know, someone could go to the, my Facebook page because I, I, I post it publicly, not just to friends or a select group. And, uh, and, and I also post other things, poems I've come across that I find just so meaningful or significant or poignant. But um, there's a, a lot uh, of, of my uh publishing activity, my writing activity there. Uh, 
almost everything that I publish now goes on the Facebook page, you know, an announcement of it or something. Uh, to uh, I share it. It would be nice to have uh, a website because I could put a lot more in there. Uh, you know, it could be much more expansive and maybe uh, look a certain way. You know, uh, I, I had ideas looking at other people's websites and certainly what Juice put together. I can't improve on that. It, it's, it's, I think it's magnificent what he did uh, for this acrastic notion, uh, especially the last installment. This uh, part three is spectacular. But uh, I was thinking about it and it may have to be a retirement project because I find myself so busy yeah. with revolving projects and, and, and things that I'm readying for publication that uh, it's, if you want to do something right, I feel you have to really devote a lot of time to it. Yeah. And I can't sneak it. I can't sneak that particular kind of project in. You know, if I could leave the technical aspect to somebody else entirely, I would find time maybe to work with them on some weekends uh, or some evenings. But I mean, I would like to do it. I've seen the results for friends who are musicians, activists, uh, painters. They do marvelous things. But I have to say, uh, you know, Facebook for me has provided a great platform and a great networking tool. Uh, I, I meet a lot of artists that interest me because I include art in the Oberon Poetry Journal. And I have uh, made interesting connections with visual artists that way. And as a matter of fact, a book I came out with a couple of years ago uh, from uh, Claire Songbird's publishing, which is a wonderful little publisher upstate. Uh, and my connection to it was through solicitation from Heidi Nightingale, who's a valued colleague at Empire State College. Uh, I had put together a manuscript with one of the artists that I connected with, uh, who happened to be on Long Island. And uh, we have her art in it, in the book, and my poems. And uh, Claire Songbirds published it. It's a beautiful book. They did such a marvelous job. That was so gratifying. I felt like it really represented uh, the soul and the heart of what we were trying to do. Um, and that was largely from using, from, from having connections on the internet, being able to see the person's art. This is, this is the cover of the book. She's a digital artist and we called it open. This happened to be one of her paintings, but inside what we discovered was, what I discovered and then I connected with her, she had paintings and I had poems that seemed to resonate with each other. They just, uh, they weren't matched like one was commissioned to represent the other. But uh, it came together so nicely and uh, Claire Songbirds did such a beautiful job. But that was from being on uh, Facebook, meeting the artists, sharing our work with each other. And then because we're both on Long Island, we, we met in person back then. And uh, that was a marvelous process. Because it wasn't exactly a chrastic, uh, because it was a serendipitous kind of combining shared vision, hers, hers digitally, 
in, in her paintings and me in the poems. But that's just one connection that I made. And I know artists from all across the country and the world actually. And I'm thinking eventually, I think I'd like to collaborate with a lot of them in some sense. Uh, and it gave me an opportunity to be familiar with them and to develop a rapport uh, and a correspondence with many of them to get to know them as people. And uh, that's kind of an invaluable thing that can be gained uh, with, with all of the downside, I guess, that Facebook can have. I think that's one thing if you are cautious about what you do and who you contact, what you share. Um, and people do advertise on Facebook, by the way, opportunities for publishing, the small yeah. presses. They send out notices and they tag people. So uh, I like to share those with my colleagues and students sometimes. I, th I think it's a wonderful thing that we're able to do that. Now with COVID, of course, we have to remain at distances from each other. But that opportunity was always there. To be able to find out where to send your work outside of your backyard. Uh, and it's still a marvelous uh, aspect of technology. Yeah, I'll, I'll connect with you on Facebook. It didn't occur to me to do that because um, I'm not really a Facebook I'm not as active on Facebook as I probably should be, mm -hmm. though the podcast has a, a web page there. But um, yeah, I think it's healthy for any creator to find ways to collaborate with creators who don't work in their medium. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I that's a too. wonderful exercise that should be more consistent with a lot of people. Um, you know, it's a shared vocabulary because there's yeah. a vocabulary to painting. There's a vocabulary to dance. Uh, which also inspires me. I, when I was a kid, I actually uh, was in the corps de ballet for kids. I was in it from like age four to about 10, 11. What an experience. Uh, I've only written a, a little bit about that when I was involved in dance, but each, each art form has its own vocabulary, energy, um, narrative, uh, interpretive value of what it's trying to express. Music too. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think it can, you can only come back to yourself in your art form and be enhanced by it and find new ways of saying things because of that exposure and because of that kind of collaborative uh, synthesis. Do you have, a, um, do you have a, a hard out that you need to be done by for, for, this, for this? No. Oh, okay. Are you, is this your reading period? This is, uh, we're coming, we're coming up to uh, the spring term. Ooh. I'm still, I'm still recovering from the fall. Um, I have the privilege of being over target every year for 30 years. So I'm always tired. <laughs> mm. uh, but uh, we'll be starting again. I think the 19th is the first day of classes, but we're essentially back from the reading period and the great, you know, the grading, they say reading period, but it's uh, for people like myself who have so much creative scholarship going on. I try to use as much time as I can right now. I'm under pressure to do that because I'm finishing over on. Uh, my head was in a vise because COVID set us back in time and I knew I needed to get this issue out before the spring term began, because once that happens, you know, when do I do my personal creative scholarship? Late at night or on the weekends, if I'm lucky. 
and I still have a life to live. So like with any artist, you know, it's how do you fit it in without compromising what you do, without jeopardizing the quality of it. But yeah, we're we're coming down to the point where we'll be preparing for the uh, the next semester and then back into the rhythm of things, which can be really hectic. Does the college still put out the Metropolitan Review? That's a good question. I haven't seen an issue of it in a while. I don't know if it was victim to the chopping block because of budgetary concerns. Uh, I haven't seen the other. There was another, and Metropolitan Review was wonderful, and I'm happy to say I've had students publish in it, which really makes me feel good. Uh, but there was another one, Many Waters. Does that ring oh, a bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that? That goes way back also. I think that the Metropolitan Review evolved from that. Oh, did it? Yeah, I think. Okay, I, 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 I wasn't sure. Because there were the, the, what I heard was, and I think it did go, fall victim to the chopping, chopping block because I think one of, I think the issue that came out the year I graduated might have been the last one. But um, oh, okay. Because there was talk, but the but at that point it was in limbo. But um, I remember there were upstate mentors who were angry that it was being called the Metropolitan Review, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, get over it, like because I was in the Metropolitan Center. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hope they bring it back. I yeah. I I don't I don't know if it's on hiatus or if they just decided. I hope they bring it back also, because I'll tell you the truth. As a creative writing teacher, I say teacher rather than professor, because you have to teach. Yeah. You can profess anything. Um, <laughs> I think a teacher is more honorable term. Yeah. Well, just throw a rim shot in there if you don't agree. Uh, <laughs> I'll get I'll get letters. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'll get, but... Uh, <laughs> But I think it's nice because wherever else I taught, I was I was an advisor to uh, the literary journal. And what a marvelous thing for students to have that experience of having their work published and even be part of the production process. That's kind of invaluable. I know when I was an undergrad, I was involved with the literary journal of my colleges. And what a fantastic experience. It really does uh, inform you about what's involved in putting out a magazine and uh, the, the various steps and working with the art. I mean, you, you have a chance to see how it comes together. And I would love to be able to say to my poetry students, my fiction students, even uh, my arts and graphic students who are looking for an audience uh, while they're students, to have their work appear, because it is quite a beautiful uh, publication. They do a lovely job of it. Production values are high, and the quality of what's inside, the contents. So if if they're not doing it, uh, you know, the greater loss. But I'm hoping if they consider it to do it again, I would I would love that, and I would like to be involved with it. I'd like to help funnel student work into it. I've done it informally with a few of my students. But uh, I think that's a wonderful thing to have. Well, I, I think to. that, well, you know, I get a lot of calls as an alumni to like contribute financially. So maybe the next time I get a call, I'll be like, tell you guys what, bring back the Metropolitan Review and we'll talk. Yeah. I get a lot of calls too, because I'm also a, I'm an alumna. 
But I, you know, it would be easier if they didn't cut my salary. <laughs> yeah. They wait. They what? Oh my! What? Oh, that's. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Unfortunately. It's a government organization, so, <laughs> which is very true. Um, I guess we you know we've been going on. We've been going on pretty good. It's pretty good episode. It's been about an hour and forty minutes. Um, what I would like to do is, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna scrub through this whole thing just so you understand my process. I'm going everything we mentioned. I'm gonna find links to because I I'm really big on putting links in the the text description so people can quickly navigate and follow the conversation. Wonderful. Um, If there are any other links that you think that I should put in, just feel free to send me. I'm not putting this up until the first week of April. So just to kind of know what's You said April. April, the first first Monday of April. Which is wonderful because April is National Poetry Month. (gasps) All right, cool. How do you know that? That's that's actually really good to know because I was yeah. trying to figure out who else to reach out to so I could fill my Mondays. So I think I'm going to start go through my um, my poetry shelf and just reach out to everybody who's still kicking. <laughs> Most of it's Bukowski, so that's the no go. But I have others. I have others. <laughs> They're crawling out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need a flashlight or, you know, (laughs) a magnifying glass to find poets. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for taking the time to come on here. Um, Oh, thank you. This was, this was a nice little diversion for me, um, you know, uh, to talk about it. Yeah. You know, the one thing about COVID is that, not being able to see the students in person. I realize I don't see all students in person because sometimes the face-to-face doesn't work for them. But doing everything on the phone now, which I'm comfortable in doing, but to see somebody, I mean, to have the presence there, to have it live, you know, the spontaneous aspect of sharing things and to talk about poetry. You don't have to twist my arm to do that. So this was this was delightful. I thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I feel like this was so in my head. This is just an introductory podcast, and at some point, I want to do another one. Maybe when you 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 have something that you want to say, hey, I'm putting this out there. Let's talk about it. You know, um, those oh, yeah. then we can anchor it on product or something. But um, yeah, I see these. It's just like. Hey, I got this podcast. Let's do the first one so that when we do a second one, people are familiar with our speed. So mm-hmm. well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Um, anyway, I'll be in touch by email. Also connect with you on Facebook and I guess we'll go from there. Yeah. Terrific. And anything you need, you know where to find me. Yeah. <laughs> Empire State College. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Take care. <laughs>